Hello everybody and welcome to this special Lost Interview edition of Black Hole Cinema, hosted by me, Tony Black. Last summer when the podcast came to a brief halt for about six months, I realised there were several interviews I did with friends and colleagues online that hadn't actually been released. So instead of them sitting on my hard drive, I thought, why not release them in between the new podcasts we're doing for however long they go on for and give those really interesting interviews about certain films the light of day. So over the next few weeks... We're going to have several different interviews from several different people about several different, more than likely quite classic films. So without further ado, welcome to The Lost Interviews. Welcome back, guys, to uh, this segment of Black Hole Cinema in which I uh, get a mate on and they tell me about their favourite film ever in the world. And uh, this week, it's the turn of... One of my uh, oldest friends now, actually, and certainly my boldest friend. It's uh, Mr. Lee Crimes. Welcome, sir. Boldest or boldest? Boldest and boldest, yes. A bold, good bold recovery. Man. Thank yes, you. very good, yes. When you said oldest friend there, that was also a phrase with two meanings. So, uh, Well, yeah. I actually didn't mean it in that sense. I meant it in the sense that we've known each other for a very long time now. And uh, But if you want nice. to draw, if you want to draw, you know, your. Um, your severe worry about extreme old age into it. That's your business, but uh, I meant it in a friendly way. No one can see it, but I'm kind of curling my lips sardonically. Like <laughs> so, Lee, why don't you tell us your favourite movie that you're going to talk about tonight? Given that this is a surprise for you because I haven't told you what the film mm. is yet, my favourite film is from 1994. Mm -hmm. It's, I suppose you could say, an action movie. It has a very respected actor as one of the lead roles, and it is also an adaptation of an existing piece of work. Ooh. I'll read out a quote from the film. For you, the day Bison graced your village was the most important <laughs> day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. Tuesday. Street Fighter. After seven months of fighting, the civil war in Shadaloo may have reached the turning point. The capital has just fallen. In December 1994, the forces of freedom will face a power-mad dictator in a struggle for the fate of the world. Street Fighter. Street Fighter is one of... <laughs> the most underratedly brilliant pieces of, you know, cinema of the last now 20 years. It's a film that didn't do too badly at the box office. Consulting my handy infographic guide to the movies book here, I can tell you that the uh, the film's overall gross when it was released back in the day was actually 112 million, which was a sort of profit of 27 million, given that its budget was something ridiculous like let me just check. Thank you, Wikipedia. Its budget was only thirty-five million, so it didn't do too badly. That's though. a reasonable rate of return, isn't it? I mean, that's that's a very cheaply made film in comparison to these days. For a video game movie, yes, very yeah. cheaply made. I mean, it was directed by um, Stephen D'Souza as well, a reasonably respected director who you know works on Die Hard and Die Hard Two. Gave us Commando and The Running Man. He um, also kind of you know coded Hudson Hawk, but yeah, I mean we. Uh, we won't worry about that too we much. Don't, we don't mention Hudson oh. Hawk. No. no, no. Or the Judge Dredd movie that he did the year after. Mm. 
Or Beverly Hills Cop 3, yeah, in fact, I'd stop looking at his credits now because it's just going to get depressing. <laughs> but as an adaptation of the award-winning computer game, it, um, it ran things in quite an unusual aspect by making Colonel Guile the hero rather than Ryu and Ken, which was a more traditional way of playing things out. The aim being that the muscles from Brussels' Jean-Claude Van Damme mm-hmm. is playing Colonel Guile, head of a UN peacekeeping force who blow quite a lot of things up and punch a lot of guys in the neck and face for a peacekeeping force, which also <laughs> includes Kylie Minogue amongst its uh, numbers, which would keep the peace in the most places. Well, well, it, well, exactly. They all together are involved in the UN in the real world, to be honest. Rather than, yeah, and instead they pick Jerry Halliwell. But, yeah. Yes, yeah. Again, we don't mention that either. No. And the idea is that M. Bison, played by a very respected actor Raoul Julia, in his final film role, as it turned out, mm is the gleefully megalomaniacal... Um, <laughs> he kidnaps a bunch of hostages, holds them to ransom for the, you know, measly sum of $20 billion. Otherwise, he will, you know, kill the hostages and unleash biologically engineered super warriors um, across the world and remake the whole planet in his image and, you know, Guile and the others have to go and stop him. And it's it's a fairly nonsense plot, really. It's... It's made all the more ridiculous by how willfully over the top every element of Bison's plan is, from having his own currency to his own sort of um, <laughs> set of set of laws to um, the way he brainwashes his um, test subjects. One of them being Guile's best friend Charlie, who is eventually turned into the Monster Blanca, and the fact that Raoul Julia, who knew he was very unwell, he was actually suffering mm. from stomach cancer at the time. Which um, ultimately went on to kill him shortly after the film was uh, released. I think it was just before the film was released, actually. Was it the last film that that he made, or was it the last film that um, he was he was in? Like the, it's uh, the it's the actual last film that he made. It, it came about that he knew he was very unwell and he might not sort of last too much longer. So he had a pile of scripts in front of him. He sent them to his kids and said, "Which film do you want me to be in?" They sort of flicked all the scripts and looked around, and they really, really wanted him to be in Street Fighter. Mm. So, you know, as a last present to his kids, he starred in this film. That's lovely. That's really sweet. I think it turned out to be quite a canny choice. One, because it's it's a film that's still remembered today, and even though you might sort of groan and think about it, and, oh, God, Street Fighter, yeah, rubbish, and it's full of cheesiness, it's also... It, it's kind of community levels of meta humour in how which it takes the piss out of its own concept mm. and dialogue all the way through. I mean, some of the quotes themselves would kind of do that, like that whole that one I gave earlier, which is a quote when um, <laughs> Chun Li, played at this point by Ming Na, short, uh, twenty years before she would then go on to play a, another ass kicking person in Agents of Shield, is sort of captured by Bison and trying to make him feel some kind of remorse for uh, destroying her village when she was just a young boy. She runs through this this um, big long speech, you know, you and your bullies were driven back by farmers with pitchforks. My father saved his village at the cost of his own life and you had him shot as you ran away. Bison sips a martini calmly and says, I'm sorry, I don't remember any of it. <laughs> it's, it's a segment where Bison will go to visit his um, captive scientist, Dr. Dalsine, for some reason it is a scientist in this film and not like a stretch of yoga fire breathing guy mm. ah Dr. Dalsim how is your research today the same warped corrupted my science twisted to serve a perversion instead of peace Twitch Bison taps him on the shoulder and says tell you what after I've crushed my enemies we'll see about getting you published that should cheer you up hmm? <laughs> it's 
Wandering through the ruins of an ancient Incan temple that he's made his uh, base in, the temple above us was the wonder of the ancient world. Bisonopolis shall be the wonder of my world. But I think the food court should be larger. All the big franchises will want it. <laughs> yeah, so it, just... it is very then. It's very aware of of how of how daft it is and how yeah. It, it's just it's just very aware of itself. Which a lot of these action films, these dumb action films, aren't, are they? They're very sort of they can be quite po-faced. But Street Fighter seems to have that level of look. We know this is ridiculous. Go with it because we're having fun. You need to as well. It taps into the whole kind of vein of postmodern cinema that we had a lot of in the nineties. Really, we were getting it in comedy with things like Seinfeld, mm. and then we were getting it in comic books with things like, well, the fo- the follow on rather from late eighties works like Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, and then we were starting to get it in film with a lot of m- more sort of darker, self aware, edgier kind of action movie heroes who came out of edgier um, late eighties films like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon and that kind of thing. So we had a lot more tortured front men and characters and and that kind of thing so there was an air of i don't know whether it was just tapping into the greenish generation's just general dissatisfaction with the world around them and rejection of the (coughs) clean-cut shiny neon of um 80s capitalism that they were coming out of but we kind of we started to like and entertain movies that didn't really try to pretend that they weren't movies or didn't try to kind of paint the world in any other way than just being like a bit messed up and broken and wrong and all over the place really well you're great so a good example of that is last action hero isn't it i mean that that's a yeah. film that's full of that kind of thing yeah last action hero which kind of goes a bit too far into being actually quite dark and, and weird and mm. while it's great at having loads of meta human references to action heroes in the the movie side of it once that gets into the real world i think it it seems to get a bit confused with what kind of tone it wants to hit for the rest of it whereas I think that where Street Fighter was aiming to excel at this kind of thing is when you were getting these licensed property movies made around that time, you'd either get something completely bonkers like the Super Mario Brothers movie, mm. which just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, <laughs> or the Double Dragon movie, both of which try to tap into a weird kind of cyberpunky aesthetic and don't really don't really do much of anything as a result. Or in what Street Fighter was brilliant at is taking this sort of on the surface very um like obvious watered down mass appeal kind of concept and putting this really subversive layer of humor and reference all the way through it so even though yes you do have quite cheesy representations of the game's characters and the way that people look and everything else that's happening all the way through it at the same time it's like yeah we know this is stuff just kind of just go with it and just you know enjoy yourself in much the same way that many years later the dead or alive movie would tap into that exact same blend of like a faithful game representation and also completely knowingly ridiculous from start to finish. Well, it, it's funny because what I actually in the in my last podcast that I, that was released at, at this the point of recording this, I actually did talk about Street Fighter very very briefly because I was reviewing Need for Speed. Now, Need for Speed is rubbish, complete rubbish, complete trash, and it takes itself so ridiculously seriously. And it got me briefly talking about video game adaptations that over the years have just been largely complete rubbish. And I said, and one of the points I made was that Street Fighter is one of the few video game adaptations to film that is quite fun because it knows how silly it is. Whereas afterwards you had films like, you know, the Tomb Raiders and some of the, uh, not that I've seen all of them, but some of the Resident Evils that just didn't fully work because they didn't really, 
you know have that sense maybe of that meta element or that postmodernism, and it, it just it just became a very you started to think I started to think well what was what's the point in making them you've got the game whereas with Street Fighter it kind of added something that you don't fully get in the game the, the film itself the first film anyway yeah it messes around with the plot and the characters quite a lot it shuffles things back and forth here and there but you know whereas obviously the game is just a series of one on one beat em up fights this one actually doesn't there isn't a lot of one on one scrapping in it really there's like mm. a handful of fights carefully staged around an actual plot which is a group of heroes coming together to stop a madman from taking over the world yeah. and as a result it's got a much better narrative tissue the the street fighter animated movie that came out around the same sort of time the street fighter 2 one was um trying to run it off a similar concept really that bison was trying to I think, oh, I can vaguely remember it now, but I think he was trying, he was studying the world's greatest fighters because he was basically trying to make himself the hardest man in the world so that he could just go around with impunity it, as part of his plan for world domination so that he could then just basically destroy anyone who came near him. So he was studying other fighters in their own environments while they were running around and doing it. I think um, not just the year after Street Fighter, you had the Mortal Kombat movie, which mm. almost works, but the kind of, the humour element of it is is dialed right back. It's a bit more of a kind of straight laced representation mm. of the film. It, it's good. It's nice. It's well budgeted. It's well choreographed, and you know, looks the part. Has an absolutely kick ass soundtrack as well because it's it all like mid nineties industrial and techno bands, yeah. Yeah. which was uh, which is great. There's a fight between um, oh, it's Johnny Cage and Scorpion having the fight at the bottom of the pits, like in what would be the hell level, in like. Bridges are made up of like human bones flying yes. going in the background. Fear Factory blasting out yeah, of the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so awesome. That's the scene I always <laughs> remember. Actually, that's the main scene I always remember when I think of that film. Yeah, there's the certain scenes in that. Yeah, I mean, uh, at the time I was watching that on um, on video, my dad was in in the room and he looked so appalled at that scene, <laughs> especially the bit when the top of Scorpion's head gets sliced off and his <laughs> flaming skull screaming as blood slid out the top of it. I tried to turn to him and say, "Let." I know this is stupid. It's okay. I'm not. I'm not being traumatized by this film or anything. Well, I mean, that's the difference, though, isn't it, between between those films and Street Fighter? Is that Street Fighter's kind of not really that over the top and gory in that sense, is it? It's very. It's it's very cheesy. Kind of almost like cheesy eighties in a way, isn't it? With with that with that certain video game sensibility mixed in, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of the fights are pretty bloodless as far as I can remember. Guys get sort of gunned down and killed, but it's more just like there's gunfire and someone goes, ah, and falls over. There's no close-ups on, like, bloody injuries or wounds or anything like that. You don't get any kind of Resident Evil-style gore or that kind of thing going on. Well, what, what, I mean, going back to that, that, that topic briefly, what, what do you think of the state of play with, with most video game adaptations? I mean, you know, you... You've played a lot of video games. You, you know, you you played pretty much all probably the video games that these films have been based on. What what do you think makes a good adaptation? If Street Fighter is a good adaptation or a good version of it, what do you think people do wrong so much with these kind of films? I think the main way that you can go wrong is to just try and recreate the video game as is, mm. which is where a lot of these things go wrong in the concept stages because. So many of these big budget AAA games these days are built with a very cinematic sensibility, and it's uh, there's there's a lot of articles and research on on this. It's because of the way the player is the central agent of change in a video game. In a movie, we're a passive audience, mm. 
So it's essentially the same effect as just watching a series of cutscenes of the game strung together. Mm. It'd be like just well, basically playing Metal Gear Solid 4, which as we know is just almost entirely cutscenes. <laughs> and also because the way that the the peaks and troughs of narrative play through these things, even ones with nice plots, take something like Bioshock or Bioshock Infinite, would work well as a screenplay, but because there's so much story in these things, you end up having to massively condense what's going on. So a lot of these more modern, more cinematically minded games that people are saying, oh, you shouldn't make a film of this, like The Last of Us or like mm. uh, the new Tomb Raider or that kind of thing, already work best in exactly the format that they're in. Mm. The best kinds of video games to make are the ones that aren't built with that kind of big story in mind, because then you can kind of come up with your own story and just sort of, it's like saying, okay, if I had these characters, this is exactly how, believe it or not, all the... Um, canon that we have for Transformers came around. Mm. Originally, the Transformers were just a series of Japanese toys that were like, you know, vehicles that turned into robots. Some of them, the original models were supposed to have little pilots in, which is why some of them have little kind of slots where a little pilot model should go, from about three or four different Japanese toy ranges. And this American company like bought a bunch of them up, brought them over, and these two guys sat down and thought, right, we need to put this into one range you know, how can we do that? And that they brainstormed and came up with the idea of there being these two rival factions of, of robots. They came up with some, you know, developed Optimus Prime and Megatron and Starscream and um, Bumblebee and basic personalities for these people. And then from then, other writers have just come in and developed the concepts and fleshed out the backstory and Cybertron and developed new characters like um, Hot Rod and then the Dinobots and Shockwave and all other kinds of things from there. And it's essentially, it's... What they are, in, in essence, is it's just a toy. that it's, it's a car that turns into a robot, and it doesn't do anything more than that. In much the same way that Street Fighter, the video game, you've got one guy, you beat up the other guy, and then you go on and beat up the next guy. That's, that, that's the sum total of the arc in it. Therefore, you take these characters and you say, what can I do with them? And you just make something up and you run with it that way. So the best games that would work in that regard are the ones that have a relatively light story. Like we said, that's I think why Street Fighter worked so well because it did. It didn't just obviously. It took a very simple concept of a game and it did this whole cheesy, over the top, me mega maniacal Bond style, massive, crazy idea. And it was just a. It was just fun, wasn't it? At the end of the day, it was just fun. Exactly, it's fun from start to finish. Yeah. Even like the cheesy lines, you kind of get away with it. Like yeah. that whole um, <laughs> Tom Head Bison's talking about the prisoners. Take them to the interrogation room. They will talk or die. Preferably both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I keep thinking, actually, that had were they to remake this film exactly now, it would be Javier Bardem playing Bison, wouldn't it, instead of Raul Julia? Because he basically is like a modern-day Raul Julia, isn't he? You know, to that that could work. I can't yeah. imagine him having the scene where Bison's chest is the sort of heart defibrillator thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> working back up again. Yeah. Um, it's it's when Bison sort of um, scolding Sajat, who, as you know, of Sagat or Sajat, Sagat. I don't know how he's supposed to yeah. pronounce his name. The big, tall, light IT yeah. boxer guy's got the eye patch on. The bald guy, yeah. And um, he, he's, he's sort of you know reacting to shock to the news that Colonel Guile is still alive after having faked his death. And Bison rounds on him and says, Of course, his death was designed to ingratiate his spies with you. <laughs> then he puts a hand over his one eye and says, I guess you didn't see that, did you? <laughs> And you can, you can imagine, I think Steve D'Souza wrote this as well, you can just imagine him killing himself laughing as he's writing his <laughs> yeah, life, thinking, I'll never get away with this. Yeah, doubling <laughs> up with laughter. And that's, that's it, you know, when these films do that, they work much better. 
to to conclude then, if if someone if someone hasn't seen Street Fighter, and there probably will be quite a few people who haven't actually, because it's it's getting on now, and it's um, you don't always catch it everywhere. What what is the one major reason, which we've probably discussed, but what is the one major reason you would recommend people watch Street Fighter? I would say it's just because if you if you're very tired of movies that take themselves painfully seriously and you want to, you want to sort of if you're the kind of person who enjoyed movies that were just fun like if you ever watched Big Trouble in Little China or yes. Army of Darkness or Speed or any of those kinds of classic quite blokey action movies that just had a laugh with their own concepts yeah. but were still very entertaining at the same time Street Fighter hits every single one of those buttons it's it's funny it's you know a, a pretty decent budget. It's got you know some quite good action sequences and explosions and fights and all sorts of stuff going on in it. If you're a fanboy of the games at all, it is loaded with a lot of quite kind of nod and wink pleasing references that, again, are put in more out of a sense of humour than a sense of seriousness. Mm. And it's just it it's just got a sense of fun that a lot of cinema's forgotten these days. Mm. And it has Kylie. It has Kylie quite a lot in it actually. I think I don't know. I don't think she quite getting, gets into the kind of skin-tight um, blue leotard thing that the character Kami tends to wear in the games, unfortunately. But um, I think she does beat someone up at one point, which is just worth the admission price yes, alone. just to see Kylie kicking, kicking ass. Well, that's great. That's, that's the advice from, uh, from Lee and, and myself, because I, I completely agree with you on this. Go watch Street Fighter. You'll probably find it on Netflix or, um, or some such, or it'll come up on, uh, on your local... Uh, TV screen, but if you catch it, watch it. So thanks a lot, Lee. Cheers. Yeah. Now, who wants to go home and who wants to go with me? Yeah!